Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. Uh, Today, we're talking about Minute 68, which begins with Steve and Bucky heading up the stairs to the gantry and ends with Bucky stepping onto the gantry over the fiery factory floor. Back on the show, we have Andrew and Joe Dorowski. Hello. 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 Um, We are talking about escape in this minute. Uh, Mm -hmm. Both of our our parties are trying to get the hell out of this uh, building that is about to go up. Um, Let's start with uh, Steve and Bucky as they uh, say, you know, let's keep going up. Let's go up and see (laughs) see what we can do up there. There's a door on the other side of that gantry. That looks like the perfect way to get out of here. If the building is collapsing around us, keep going up, right? That's that's the strategy that they're going to employ. Apparently, I yeah. Is is their plan to like get across and then go through, like go to the elevator that? They just saw someone use or? Well, they do see a door. We did see at the very end of the last minute, there is a door weirdly placed. I I don't know why, but it's like on a little platform at the end of that gantry. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that door would be used for. Uh, I mean, we were talking about, you know, exit signs before. If anything, that door does have a red blinking light over it. So I guess maybe that's (laughs) for Steve. Hey, that must be a way out. I don't know. I don't know why that's the thing that they say. That's let's do that. That seems like the safest option we have. Let me take this sick man and we're going <laughs> to we're going to, you know, very carefully walk across this gantry over to that door. <laughs> Poor Sebastian Stan having to like act this. It's like, OK, now act like you're, you know, malnourished and you've been tortured a little bit, but also go up these three flights of stairs. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so he's just like hunched over and he's like swinging his arms loose I'm like, man. That's it'd be so much easier if he could just like look athletic and, you know, be physical with this. I I think it's really interesting how like these kinds of action sequences, there's so much of it that when you're in the movie theater watching the first time, like you're just propelled by the action and you just go along. But then when you stop to talk about them one minute at a time on a podcast, (laughs) you're like, hold on, what is the motivation for them to keep going higher? (laughs) Like Why? Why is this the right plan for them to to take at this point? And I don't remember ever thinking that in the movie theater. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, they're they're going that way. Let's let's see what happens here. Yeah, because there's like this gut reaction to fire hot down there. Let's get away from it. The fastest way is to go up away from the fire, which, yeah, in in the scope of things doesn't make sense. And I suppose people in a burning building probably have that same sense. If we can get to the roof, maybe we can get out of here or we can find a window to jump out of or something like that. Uh, but I don't know. But, and, but you're you know, always supposed to, like, go down when there's a fire. Like, get on the floor so you're not right. inhaling the smoke. You can see better, all that sort of stuff. That's what you're supposed to do. And I, I just feel like it's it's this that flight, or, uh, that flight or fight response that they have here where it's just like, I don't know, it's almost like this, this reaction that they have that almost seems, um, uh, I don't know, I, it seems a little more like a primordial reaction, you know, like they're just like hot down there. Let's just move in the opposite direction and get away. And yeah. it just, yeah, it doesn't, there's no brains in the process that they're going through here. And it, I don't know, as we, as we watch it, I do find this sequence largely frustrating and very designed just to have a moment between our superhero and our supervillain on a catwalk over fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm, uh, I'm just looking exactly like as I scrub through like the the girder that they're going to try and and move across, and they, there are just 
Like, why is the question yeah, right. <laughs> that kind of keeps keeps coming up to me. <laughs> it's so strange. And there's catwalks. Like, you know, we had that catwalk. I mean, the catwalks go along it. But I would think that there are also some other catwalks that cross. And maybe I'm wrong, but I'd like to think there are. This is a really long building. There's got to be other catwalks. Yeah, right? I mean, it wasn't like that one switch that Zola flipped didn't, like, retract every single catwalk in the entire thing, I wouldn't think. Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, <Who knows? laughs> they're just all gone. Or uh, you know, <laughs> maybe uh, one of them blasted the controls and hey, they can't extend them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's I, I don't know. It's frustrating that they go through this. It's just designed to kind of create this this moment for us. But mm-hmm. um, we'll come back to Steve and Bucky and what they're up to. Let's for now jump into the elevator where we have Zola and Schmidt. Um, and, uh, you know, is Zola, like, he seems even more timid now. Like, the way that he says his line here about, like, uh, sir, we're going to the roof. What about me? <laughs> Where will I sit? I, I mean, he is so, like, timid here. Is it just because of the red face? I think I think that's the thing that's, like, unnerving him. So he's, like, much more awkward about it. Yeah. Why, why do they split up? Why does the Red Skull take the plane thing and send Zola to use his car. The car has two seats. They could just drive out of there. Yeah, it looks like it has three seats when he hops into it. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, there's, there's something he in the back. Needs, so, like, Yeah, right. Why does he feel he needs to fly away? Yeah, I don't know. Don't they end up in the same place? I feel like he just wanted to use this thing. <laughs> well, that I, was really it. I think this, you know, the, the filmmakers wanted him to use this, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, also, there's this very odd piano riff when he hands over the keys to the car like it's kind of a like a sad piano kind of thing <laughs> it's almost like the the where the car has theme music that's supposed to cue us like the car's coming back but it's like no <laughs> we, we don't have this <laughs> <laughs> but it, like it's a very odd specific like everything else cuts out and now we get like a piano like Da-da-da. i'm like why did this piano or, or, or not piano violin yeah. um why did this come in I'll have to look at the beginning and see when the car first shows up. If we have, uh, if there is a theme, maybe uh, Silvestri was actually trying to build a car theme into this that I <laughs> didn't notice before. But that would be funny if the coupe had its own theme. <laughs> I, I don't know that it needs one. No, <laughs> I, guess I don't would... think so. <laughs> Uh, I do like that when he gives the keys to the car, I don't know, it strikes me funny. It strikes me, one, it seems like he kind of forgot for a moment that Zola was with him. And and when Zola (laughs) says, what about me? He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot you were here. All right, fine. Take the car. Like, there's something funny about the way that happens. And then when he gives his car key to uh, to Zola, uh, it's like that makes me laugh because it is a huge key for the car. Like, it's it's as extravagant as the car itself. And he also has his own hydro keychain uh, yes. for it. It's like everything. <laughs> the keychain. It's like the Hydra branding. Even the elevator pa- button panel has a Hydra brand on it. So the car has the Hydra hood ornament as well oh, there. Mm-hmm. It's, it is fantastic. The, the lengths that Hydra goes to. A secret organization yes. uh, to, <laughs> to brand themselves everywhere. His belt buckle, right? That's another one that we've seen. His belt buckle, you're right. The big, the big patch on his sleeve, like it's, it is everywhere. There's a big uh, hydro symbol on the side of the. What, what's the name of the device that Red Skull is about to climb into? He's going to cl- climb into the. Uh, if I, I don't know if I can say this right, but the the Triebflügeljager. Okay, well that has a hydro symbol on the side as well. Again, for secret organization, they really 
are labeling a lot of things. They definitely are. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I want to talk about that in a sec. But yeah, this this um, the idea that he's going through um, so much branding for his secret organization does make me laugh to no end. And I know at this point, it still is kind of like this Nazi division. Um, so maybe they weren't trying to be as secret yet. And maybe after this, when everybody thinks they went down with the Nazis, that's when the secrecy really begins. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess I can see it in that capacity. All right. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we've we've seen the, the coupe before we see Zola hop in and drive away. But let's talk about this, uh, this vehicle, this, this um, plane that uh, that Schmidt hops into. It is a Triebflugeljager, if I'm saying that right. Very well done. Real quick. If we're not going to come back to the car, this car is awfully tall. Because <laughs> Zola has to really climb it, and he really has to like. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Like he has to throw his his suitcase up to get it in, and then he's really got to start climbing. When he's throwing his suitcase in, like the the car is above his head. <laughs> well, and Toby Jones is a small person, but but they they did design this car to but be this ridiculous. Is, this is a huge car. Yes, <laughs> this car is absurd. It is absurd, um, and very much so. And I kind of love it because it's just like so overdone. Like, it's so long. There's so many, I don't know, engine vents. There's, like, extra headlights and everything. It is a little bit, you know, we've talked a lot about, um, or not a lot, but we've talked a number of times about comparing Schmidt to um, the evil Kermit in Muppets Most Wanted, <laughs> where, where you know, that I'm number one, you're number two, we're criminals at large, but I'm at larger than you. Like, that's kind of his mindset with everything. It's just like, it just needed to go a little bigger. Constantine. Yeah. Constantine, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So I just, if we weren't going to talk about the car again, I just wanted to point out that Toby Jones has to like step up to the level of his knee (laughs) to get onto like the step that gets him into the door. So what is the height difference between Toby Jones and Hugo Weaving? Because we get the shot of them when they're in the elevator standing side by side and Hugo Weaving is towering over him. But I didn't know if that was about like the empowerment of him losing the mask. And now he is the red skull. And, uh, you know, they, they want that visual to be even more intimidating. So they lifted him up more. Or is there that much of a height difference? Does anyone know? <laughs> uh, Toby Jones looks like he's five foot five okay. and Hugo Weaving is six foot two. So he is legitimately that is substantial. Uh, nine yeah. inches taller. Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that is quite a bit. So yeah, I don't think they even needed to use any Apple boxes for that here. <laughs> The, and and, and for Hugo Weaving, like that's that's tall in Hollywood. Yeah, at six yeah, two. Right. Yeah, they should put him up next to uh, Tom Cruise at some point. <laughs> Let's see. Chris Evans is six zero, so he's just a couple inches smaller than him. I mean, it works so well for the visual of these two next to each other, uh, and even like the, the little sneer that Hugo Weaving gives as he looks at, like when um, Toby Jones is like, you know, what, what about me? And he's like looks down and drops the keys into his hand like there's just enough of a sneer of disdain (laughs) for this little man that's next to him (laughs) well it's not even like it's almost like he's not so much worried about toby getting or about zola getting out of here it's more about oh you know what i want my car that's a great car (laughs) you take my car out of here please and no scratches on it like that almost seems like more his reasoning here (laughs) yeah if his car wasn't there uh, I don't think uh, Red Skull would have given a second thought to what was going to happen to Zilla. <laughs> he yeah. just would have gone and gotten into, uh, gotten into his, uh, his his flying right. machine. He would have said, goodbye, doctor, and <laughs> yeah. got and hop in. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Um, and also before the flying machine, the, the building, uh, interestingly, the elevator has buttons for negative three. So we know it goes three story, three levels below ground. And then we have a zero level, which I guess is the ground level. And then up to level seven and dock, which is the roof. So, um, I mean, it, it, it is a big factory. We've seen it on the outside. But weirdly, when I saw it from the outside, I actually thought it was probably more uh, like a lot taller than just seven stories. Okay, well, when we yeah, yeah, uh, yesterday, for our listeners, we were talking about how far the mask was floating down over these explosions. Uh, and I guess they still have to go up a little bit to get to where they're at. So they weren't at the full, you know, seventh story. They're not on the roof yet when they throw the mask down, but they were maybe five stories up <laughs> from from the ground level. Well, I mean, well, yeah, I guess it, I, it, there's a European thing about, like, the, the ground floor being zero, and then the first floor yeah. okay. is actually the next floor. It's, so I guess that's one a level thing. Up. So. Yeah, so I guess the fourth floor, which is where they were, is is kind of like the it's, fifth it's floor. It's five stories. Okay. Yeah, five stories up. So, uh, but still, even that, it still seems a little high. We'll we'll talk about that again when we get to Steve and Bucky uh, here <laughs> in a minute. I want to talk about this this tribe Flugeljager. This uh, it translates to wing fighter or um, what is the other name for it? Uh, thrust wing hunter is the other name for it. Um, this was what I, and, and I guarantee this is why they wanted to include it in the film, why they wanted him to escape in it, because this was actually a, a concept aircraft that the Germans were working on in the forties during world war two as a defense against the allies uh, with their bombing raids. It was designed to, to take off vertically sitting on its, uh, they had the, uh, the tail sitter interceptor uh, design. And the whole idea was that they could just, they didn't need airfields with it. It could just, take off vertically, fly up, and then they could uh, zip around in it and do what they needed to do. Really interesting. And then they just, you know, they never were able to, they got to the point where they were testing in wind tunnels, uh, but never got past that because uh, obviously the war did not go their way. Um, but that's uh, that's largely the whole idea. It, it, but the the actual name of it is the Falk Wolf Treibflugel. Uh, which I I don't know if if Falk and Wolf were two of the people who were working on the design uh, for it or the manufacturing company. Um, actually, I guess it is the manufacturing com- company. Falk Wolf Flug Flugzugbau. Oh, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> but they were they were a German manufacturer uh, during World War II. Um, so that is this, and uh, yeah, this I, I I find it to be such an interesting. Uh, thing and we are going to get other examples of this. The one that we see here at this point in the film is pretty much specifically designed just to kind of fly up and out. It's kind of like an escape vehicle, as we see um, uh, Schmidt kind of turn it on and and pilot it straight up to escape from here. We'll see versions of this later in the film um, that they are using to um, that they'll have bombs on the front, and those are the ones that they're that are flying out of the Valkyrie. But that's this the the Tribeflugeljager. That pronunciation. I'm impressed. My, <laughs> I, I tip my cap. <laughs> we have some listeners who who comment on our German uh, periodically as we're going. So I know they're going to have things to say uh, when we get to uh, when, when they get to this episode. Well, I just want you to know, whatever they say to me, that was perfect. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, I I like seeing it. It feels, you know, a, absurd comic book, you know, kind of thing and everything. Um, in this, even though it's, it's, you know, based on real stuff, which, which somehow, I don't know. I don't know if I like that. It's actually based on real stuff. Um, it, it looks 
like I can I can make the sense of it in my head as I look at it. It's like, okay, it's got propellers, but they're being fueled by a rocket on the end of the propeller. <laughs> right? That's what's making it spin instead yeah. of, you know, a, a rotator it's rocket in the middle rotors, of the propeller. Basically. And and I'm like, okay, I get that. It feels like I don't know. At some point someone would have to like explain the physics to me of like, okay, so if we put engines on the ends of these propellers and the engine goes, it spins the propeller and then the propeller creates lift. It's like, can't you just put an engine pointing down at the ground? (laughs) (laughs) And I know I like, I'm sure there's like a physics of like how much thrust you're going to get in in each different way. But I'm like, we kind of ended up just pointing engines down at the ground for like rockets. (laughs) Right, right, right. So I don't know. Is this like an efficient way to, provide thrust through a propeller i mean i for me i like that this is inspired by something that they were really trying to develop because the fantasy stories that use nazis as the bad guys like to take something real about the nazis and then just turn it up or make it act you know like their interest in uh you know supernatural lore like hellboy indiana jones captain america like we're all leaning into that that aspect of it uh and and in this case they're leaning into some of the technology that they were trying to develop and and just making it successful for the you know the the visual flair of a, of a comic book movie um and so it feels like it's it's kind of in that piece of like taking this seed of something real about the nazis and their plans and and just turning it up a little bit for the fiction of these kinds of movies yeah, and I think that's largely what they were doing here, because otherwise, I mean, as we were saying, like, there's no logic for having Schmidt escape this way. Like, it would have been totally make more sense for the two of them to stay low, hop in the, the coop, and just drive out on the opposite side of the factory away from uh, where all the uh, the escaped POWs are battling all the troops. But instead, it's like, hey, let's I I can see somebody saying, did you know that the Germans were designing this thing? It looks totally like something out of a comic book. Hey, let's put it in the movie. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of threw it in here. And the the other thing it feels like and I don't know, I may I'm trying to Google right now. It feels like this was an era when uh, Paul Mutter was still in charge of a lot of Marvel decisions. And a lot of his eye was towards the toy lines. And I'm wondering if there was ever a toy Mm. release of something like this. Um, Yeah. Which, because it feels a little bit like when, you know, the G.I. Joe cartoon introduced a new vehicle that got a weird amount of screen time in one episode. <laughs> and then it's in, Just so, yeah. In, in the next, uh, you know, Christmas season. There it is. Right, right. Yeah, we've talked about that even just like with Heroes when they return for a sequel. It's like, well, now, now they need to have a new outfit because you need to have some other new toy version of him that you can sell. So, yeah, it's that same mindset, same mindset. Yeah, I don't know if they ever did sell this vehicle uh, since it's used so limited in here, but I, I still would imagine that some people would find it kind of a fun little thing to have on their shelf. Yeah, I'm not seeing an immediate result on that. So if ever it was in a discussion, it looks like well, it never would have reached. Joseph, what, what was your search term for it? Well, I've done a few different. <laughs> At the moment, I've got Captain America, the first Avenger, Red Skull vehicle toy, <laughs> which does bring up the the car. Uh yeah. So the car did you try try Flugeljager though? That's <laughs> that's the real question. <laughs> 
yeah, I don't know. It's it's such an interesting vehicle. I just love the design. Uh, but the other question that I had was like, this seems like so hard to get into. Like it's like Boba Fett's ship. It's like any sort of vehicle where you have to get in and then immediately like sit in a position where you're laying on your back. It just is like that's so hard. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know. It just it seems very difficult. To yeah, have wait to a second. Navigate yourself that way. Like, did he? Did he like shimmy his legs in and like slide his his back down the back of the seat? Well, because yeah, yeah, he's facing straight up, right? right. Uh, I, I mean, Joe Johnston, he he did some design work for Star Wars, right? Yes, mm-hmm. I, th- yeah. I think we're entering the Millennium Falcon gunner stations in A New Hope kind of discussion here. Like, wait, the physics of how they're, they're, it seems like they're just looking up at each other, but the guns are what? <laughs> Well, and actually, didn't he design Boba Fett's ship now that I'm thinking about it? Uh, I think he did. Yeah, so I think that mm. definitely would uh, would make sense if he had been the one who had designed it. So, and then, interesting. So Red Skull flies away. I, I like the look of it flying up. That feels, like, very realistic. Yeah. And then I assume it, like, tips forward and flies to its destination. Right. I have a hard time envisioning it tipping backwards to touch down. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, it was something that they never perfected. <laughs> so there's probably a reason in the film that they don't bother showing that to us. <laughs> like, I, like, is it just like, is, is there like ballast and weight that you have to shift, you know, forward and backwards? Yeah. Yeah. It does make you wonder a lot of things about how they do that. Um, I mean, I don't know. I could read a lot about kind of the specifics of the description of it because it sounds like they did figure a lot of that stuff out, but it also just seems like a lot of that's just over my head as far as what specifically right. is happening, as far as how, how the ailerons you, are moving. and You got to get Jim O'Kane in here for, for that discussion, actually. <laughs> for, for those specifics. There you go. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll understand all of that tech. Um, so they escape. So we see Zola drive out in the coop, and then we do get a shot, as we were saying, of of Schmidt flying off in the Triflugeljager and as he's taking off, uh, which is kind of fun. I mean, I do enjoy seeing it, that kind of like the little spinning propellers as it's going up into the sky. In the script, there was a moment where you actually have Marita out in the forests as the troops are escaping, and they actually see it fly overhead. And we actually then cut to Schmidt seeing Zola uh, driving away on an isolated road. Do you feel like that was needed at all? Like, do you feel like at this point, we've been so long away from our escaping troops that it would be nice to kind of have a moment where we have kind of a connection to everything again. Uh, so, yeah, like narratively, not to like give us a sense of Red Skull and Zola know where they're going, but <laughs> as like more touching base that these people got out of the exploding factory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that would be good. Even if they're just watching it take off. I think that's a that's a useful cutaway. Yeah, I don't think we need Zola making eye contact with Red Skull up in the... (laughs) 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 Whatever it's called. No, but it it was interesting because I I wasn't really thinking about the fact that, like, it has been quite a while since we see the the troops last we saw. I mean, we did see them blast the tower um, that that, uh, Steve had passed earlier in the truck bed. Um, but it like we just haven't had any moment with them in like since that. And so it would have been at least a way to have some form of a connection at that point. But oh, well. the other question I have is like, apparently, you know, Schmidt doesn't mind blowing this place up. Did he have plans for his troops? I mean, there were plenty of Hydra troops around. I mean, I know he knows that they're fighting, but for anyone who managed to get away, like what were their plans? I don't think Hydra is big on people getting away. That's not really like 
their MO throughout all of this. It's kind of fight to the death, and then next base will have twice as many people somehow. I guess. But then the other thing is, like, a lot of these people, like, this is the first time where we actually see all of these troops fighting with the Tesseract tech. And we're going to see what happens with that. But it seems like... I don't know. For somebody who is so conscious of, I need to blow up my entire factory so that no one can get their hands on it but me, to then just say, oh, but don't worry about those troops who are using it. If they die, oh, well. <laughs> we'll just not worry about that tech. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that tech would be lying around still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I, that's that's what I'm, I'm thinking. Because, like, I mean, and we see, I mean, we've already seen them picking it up and using it. It's like they're now actively using this tech of his that he isn't being that protective of. So I don't know. It's it's strange the way that he kind of operates. And uh, I guess he's just so, is it because he's so convinced of himself as kind of like this next next to gods uh, that he's not worried about it? Yeah, it's so, so interesting that he so quickly is like blowing everything up. And then he is escaping, but there's no no cue for us as an audience to to answer this question that you that you have. Like, what what, what about all the troops that have the, the tech that wasn't destroyed? Yeah, you you don't want them to die and leave their tech lying around. Yeah, right, right. So it should have been either no warnings given and everyone blows up, or <laughs> we've got some escape route uh, that is provided. It seems like that would have been a helpful thing to have. Like either all of the, the anyone who has Tesseract weapons, when he flips those switches, like there's that one switch and he chose to flip it and every piece of Tesseract tech tech then blows up like it self detonates so that that tech can't be accessed by anybody because it mm-hmm. got out into the world like something like that. Um, or, yeah, or, or like the, all the troops, like we see a shot of the troops watching him flying away and they say, crap, let's get out of here. And we actually see them do something like I don't know. I feel like the way that that resolution happens is very um, uh, just kind of, I don't know, a little wishy-washy. It's like they couldn't come up mm-hmm. with a decision as to how to resolve this whole thing. Yeah. And, and that may be one reason why we don't see that cut away, because they don't want us to have a reminder about the rest of the fight that's going on, because we've become so solely focused on uh, Red Skull and Captain America, right? You know, that this is the fight that we're now following. Yeah. And I guess there is a very specific point We'll talk about that more uh, in the next couple minutes about that as well, about kind of some of those specific decisions that they do make as to how they're going to show the resolution of this whole thing. And then, okay, so now we're up at the top with Bucky. He's getting across this gantry. Uh, you know, let's send the sick one first. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's very funny. Uh, Bucky just, uh, again. You, you first, you test it out. Yeah, you test it out. See if this thing will hold us. Um, but again, Bucky is looking terrible. He looks really terrible, very haggard. Oh, yeah. Um, and I can't wait to talk about tomorrow's minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any last thoughts about anything in this minute from either of you? I'm good on this minute. Uh, no, I, I think there's, um, like I said, you, you feel the like propulsive action that like is moving you. Things are happening, but when you st- to stop to take it apart maybe this isn't as strong as some of the other action sequences in this film uh or in in you know other marvel marvel films because you do start to wonder about motivations like why are captain america and bucky on this girder (laughs) up here uh what about all the other fighters that are outside why didn't they take just the car you know and um and the narrative that we're given doesn't answer all those questions very well yeah, yeah. Lots of questions. Lots of questions with this one. But um But at the same time, like I, I will go back and say, 
I remember enjoying the sequence in the movie theater and not having some <laughs> of these questions when I wasn't taking it apart one minute at a time. Yeah, exactly. We're all like, damn, did you see that thing that uh, Red Skull just flew away in? That was cool. Yeah. That's, that's where we all were. So, yep, I'm right there with you. All right. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for joining me again for this minute, Minute 68. Uh, remind everybody again uh, where they can tune into what you two are up to. Um, we uh, host a couple of podcasts. I host the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story, and you'd find that in any podcatching app, I think. <laughs> um, most of them, at least. I don't know. There's always new ones, and I'm not always sure how to how to make sure we're on there. But if you do a search for the Protagonist Podcast, you should be able to find it. And I'm on Disney Animation Minute Essentials, which should be on all of those same places. All those same places. And we will have links to them in the show notes. So check those out. And uh, we will be back tomorrow to talk about Minute 69. So thank you both again. And until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.